episode 121 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Here's an interesting album in my dad's collection. It is filled with stars of the jazz era. It's from a special recording session for a TV show that went live a couple days later. And as we'll find out, that show was groundbreaking. So get ready to hear an all-star list of who's who of jazz from the late 1950s in volume 121, Jazz Sounds. Thank you. 
It's the Red Allen All-Stars with Wild Man Blues, written by Jelly Roll Morton and Louis Armstrong, with Milt Hinton on bass, Pee Wee Russell on clarinet, Joe Jones on drums, Nat Pierce on piano, Coleman Hawkins on tenor saxophone, Vic Dickinson on trombone, and Henry Red Allen and Rex Stewart on trumpet. Okay, why this record for this episode? Well, as I continue to shuffle through my dad's collection, I keep coming across more and more interesting recordings. This is a great example. When I saw the cover for this album, I thought it was just another album filled with various artists in order to sell something other than the album. I have plenty of examples of that in past episodes of the show. However, as I started to research it further, I discovered that this record is really filled with some groundbreaking ideas for how it was presented. And I'll be filling you in on the details as this episode progresses. And the various artists on this record? Some of the biggest names in jazz history and many who had history together. Like this next one. It brought back Lester Young and Billie Holiday after a long professional separation. Thank you. 
love will make you drink and gamble Make you stay out all night long Love will make you drink and gamble Make you stay out all night long Love will make you do things That you know is wrong Wasn't that special? Billie Holiday with Mal Waldron and the All-Stars. Fine and mellow, written by Billie Holiday. Jim Atlas was on bass, Joe Jones on drums, Danny Barker on guitar, Mal Waldron on piano, Ben Webster, Coleman Hawkins, and Lester Young on tenor saxophones, Vic Dickinson on trombone, and Doc Cheatham on trumpet. Okay, let me tell you about my dad's vinyl I have chosen for this episode. Various artists, The Sound of Jazz, on the Columbia label, CL1098. It's a vinyl LP album, promo mono format. It was released in 1958. Its genre is jazz, and its style is big band and swing. And we will hear six of the eight songs from this record. Now, there are a ton of liner notes, so I have gently plucked some important ones from the back cover. The best thing that ever happened to television happened on CBS between 5 and 6 in the afternoon on Sunday, December 8th. At least, that was where and when it happened first. The program may have been run at a different hour and date in your part of the country, and if there is any justice, it will be repeated. The more often, the better. 
It was an installment in the Seven Lively Arts series called The Sound of Jazz. And as far as I'm concerned, you can throw away all previous standards of comparison. This is where live television began to amount to something. It was opened and closed and from time to time interrupted by John Crosby as host, but mostly it was musicians playing jazz in a bare studio dressed in whatever they liked, hats, sweatshirts, it didn't matter, smoking, talking to one another, or just walking around. Each group was introduced and then away it went, with time enough in nearly all cases to get the music going while the camera roamed over the faces of participants and spectators. There were no phony or elaborate explanations, as the executive producer Jack Hausman remarked approvingly to the music critic Virgil Thompson during the dress rehearsal, this is the first program about jazz that doesn't say it started in New Orleans and then went up the river. What made the jazz musicians extraordinary when the camera put their features through its harsh examination was how much it found there. Children and animals make the best movie actors, as Douglas Fairbanks said, because they are unselfconscious and unable to fake. No more could these musicians be anything but themselves, for they are committed to independence and to a headlong attack on the cosmos. It showed. Here, and no kidding, were individuals of stature and profundity, of flesh and substance, of warmth and bite. The music was good, yes, but what lifted the sound of jazz to a level hitherto unattained was the sight of it being made. As a lady in White Plains sat down and wrote CBS as soon as the show was over, one so seldom has the chance to see real people doing something that really matters to them. Now... <laughs> What the liner note author doesn't really mention is corrected on another part of the back cover. Eric Larrabee's hymn of praise to CBS The Sound of Jazz, reproduced here by courtesy of Harper's Magazine, omits one important reason for the brilliant success of the show. Four days before the show went on the air, during a driving blizzard, all the jazz men on the show appeared at Columbia's 30th Street Studios to record the show for this album. They wore the usual recording uniforms, hats, sports shirts, snow-drenched shoes, and they played up a storm of their own that day. What you saw on television looked like the recording session, which you hear now is the sound of jazz. Okay, let's see what prices this record is being sold at on Discogs.com. Sold twice, $7.99 the highest, $7.95 the lowest for a $7.97 average and median. And it was last sold on August 4th, 2020 for that low price. I, I found copies on eBay in the $10 to $15 range. Um, found one on Amazon for $68.99. Now, my dad's vinyl is in fair to poor condition. There is plenty of crackling on some of the cuts. It looks like he played this record a lot at at least maybe when it first came out. The cover is in poor condition. There are slits on the top and the bottom, but not long enough to get covered in his famous black electrical tape. And it sounds like this was a special recording. So I will value my dad's vinyl at $3. Okay, this next song just might have been made up on the spot.
it's Pee Wee Russell and Jimmy Jufri on clarinet, Joe Jones on drums, and Danny Barker on guitar with blues. See what I mean about it being made up as they were all credited with composing that. Now, since there is no feature artist, I will roll right into the next song. This is the first of two we'll hear from The Count and the biggest band in the house. Baby standing in the back door crying. Yes, I left my baby standing in the back door crying. She said, Baby, you've got a home long as I've got mine. me that we'd get married on the day that she left Got a home. 
she's gone and left me standing all alone she said baby you've got a home long as I've got Count Basie All-Stars with I Left My Baby, written by Andy Gibson, Count Basie, and Jimmy Rushing, with Eddie Jones on bass, Joe Jones on drums, Freddie Green on guitar, Count Basie on piano, Coleman Hawkins, Earl Warren, Harry Carney, and Lester Young on saxophone, Dickie Wells, Frank Rehack, and Vic Dickinson on trombone, Doc Cheatham, Emmett Berry, Joe Newman, and Roy Eldridge on trumpet, with vocals by Jimmy Rushing. Okay, time now for this episode's interesting side note. And it has to do with the TV show that went live a few days after this album was recorded. The Sound of Jazz is a 1957 edition of the CBS television series, The Seven Lively Arts, and was one of the first major programs featuring jazz to air on American network television. The one-hour program aired on Sunday, December 8, 1957, live from CBS Studio 58, the Town Theater at 851 9th Avenue in New York City. The show was hosted by New York Herald Tribune media critic John Crosby and was directed by Jack Smite and produced by Robert Herridge. Jazz writers Nat Hentoff and Whitney Ballier were consultants. The Sound of Jazz features performances by musicians from the swing era, including Count Basie, Lester Young, Ben Webster, Billie Holiday, Joe Jones, and Coleman Hawkins. Chicago-style players of the same era, such as Henry Red Allen, Vic Dickinson, and Pee Wee Russell. And modern jazz musicians, such as Jerry Mulligan, Thelonious Monk, and Jimmy Jufri. These players played separately, but also joined to combine styles in one group, such as Red Allen's group and the group backing Billie Holiday on Fine and Mellow. The show's performance of Fine and Mellow reunited Holiday with her friend Lester Young for the final time. Jazz critic Nat Hentoff recalled that during rehearsals, Holiday and Young kept to opposite sides of the room. Young was very weak, and Hentoff told him to skip the big band section of the show and that he could sit while performing in the group with Holiday. During the performance of Fine and Mellow, Webster played the first solo. Then, Hentoff remembered, Lester got up. And he played the purest blues I have ever heard. And he and Holiday were looking at each other. Their eyes were sort of interlocked. And she was sort of nodding and half smiling. It was as if they were both remembering what had been, whatever that was. And in the control room, we were all crying. When the show was over, they went their separate ways. Within two years, both Young and Holiday had died. Noting that the cameras were employed as straight repertorial tools, Jack Gould observed in a review in the New York Times, it was the art of video improvisation wedded to the art of musical improvisation. The effect was an hour of enormously creative and fresh TV. The album version of the Sound of Jazz telecast is derived from a rehearsal recorded on December 4th that preceded the telecast held at Columbia's 30th Street Studios and is not the soundtrack. The album was released by Columbia in 1958. The recording does not include all of, all of the performers present on the telecast. Mulligan refused to participate because no additional payment was involved and includes several who were not on the show. 
One musician who was chosen for this show, bassist Walter Page, rehearsed but is not featured on the album. He collapsed on the way to the studio for the telecast and died of pneumonia later that December. Okay, here's a piece I found interesting. I guess it was how light the melody was played, and I apologize in advance for two loud crackles about three quarters of the way in, but you're bound to get that every once in a while with this show. Thank you. 
Jimmy Jufrey Trio with The Train and the River, written by Jimmy Jufrey, with Jim Atlas on bass, Jim Hall on guitar, and Jimmy Jufrey on baritone saxophone, tenor saxophone, and clarinet. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I don't remember this album from when I was around the house. The cover is a simple photo by Tom Yee showing several empty metal chairs and a wooden stool holding unattended instruments, and there's a drum set there as well. Very subdued for the music that this record holds. And because of this album, I also went and found the actual televised show on YouTube, of course it was there, and I'll drop that link in the episode's liner notes. And yes, it was fun to watch the interplay between Billy and Lester, a relationship I explored in episode 90 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl, which features recordings from Young. And to finish up, was all this just a dream?
Count Basie All-Stars with Dickie's Dream, written by Count Basie and Lester Young, and featuring all of the musicians I listed off earlier. And there you have selections from a recording session four days before they unleashed this music live on national TV. So thanks for tuning into Volume 121 Jazz Sounds, however you did. If you want more information about this show, head over to SpinningMyDad'sVinyl.com. 
I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops for Volume 122, Glenn Miller Collection, Part 4. Until then, go with the flow, my friends. 